The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. You ever take moments where you just take a few big, deep breaths? Would you do that right now? The way you're gonna take a few deep breaths is you're just gonna breathe in, you're gonna hold it for three or four seconds, and then you're gonna breathe back out. Go ahead, do that two two or three times, ready? Come on again. Then I feel so much better. You can kind of tell that what we're doing this morning is a few big deep breaths. You wanna know why? Because you need it, don't you? I, I just recently discovered and I don't know why I didn't know this sooner, but I was, several times a week I get up and I go to the gym. I know you can't tell, but I, I, I take this pre-workout stuff um, and my goal was like muscle recovery, right? So I feel better throughout the day after beating myself up. I didn't realize that it has 350 milligrams of caffeine in it. And, and I'm already a pretty high energy person. So I'm walking into the gym and I look like a maniac. I'm like, let's go. And there's like no one else in the gym. And uh, I've been wondering like, what's wrong? Like why I feel like my heart's ready to come out of my chest. And so I was talking with one of my friends. He was like, dude, you gotta check and see how much caffeine is in that thing. I looked at it. I was like, dear God, that's like taking three uh, Red Bulls first thing in the morning. And I'm Red Bulls. It's like Red Bull drinking three Red Bulls. I said, no wonder. I'm like, ah, you know? And then I would get to work and I would give myself a cup of coffee. I'm like, no wonder some of my meetings. I mean, now all of our pastoral staff, they're like, no, that makes so much sense. (laughs) That's why Patrick every day is like, let's take over the world, you know? Um, So here's the deal. We live in like a high caffeinated world, right? Like, you go, go, go. You've got deadlines and obstacles to overcome and you got things you gotta get done and you got places you gotta be. And uh-oh, let's take a big deep breath. Um, here's the challenge. We, we feel like we have to do so much and get so much accomplished. And as a result, if you stop somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? You know what everybody says, right? I'm busy. How are you doing? I'm busy. And then they go through a list of all the things they're doing ask you what you're doing. I said, how are you doing? But we define how we're doing by what we're doing. And so no offense to those of you that have a real diagnosed ADHD, but I think we live in kind of an ADHD world, don't we? We're like, especially those of us who are like adults with families and kids, like you go, you start going through your chores and you don't get one chore done because you find another chore that has to get done. So you start doing that. And then in the middle of that, you go to get a tool. And while you're getting the tool, you see something in the garage that has to get put away. You start doing that. Like literally we spent our whole day on our day off, just going from chore to chore, never really getting all the chores done. I'm stressing myself out again. I think I need some uh, coffee. Um, (laughs) and, And so I think the challenge is that we have to learn how to slow down. And I'm a little scared. I've got to be honest with you. I have never preached a sermon on this topic before. Part of it is because it is so antithetical to who I am and how I function. And so I don't know if I've just avoided it, if I've maybe just never seen it in the Bible. But 
I'm gonna do a message about slowing down. And, and one of my fears in, immediately as I, as I started preparing this message was, this message has some dangers to it. Um, because it's a little bit like preaching about sexual intimacy. It can be abused and misused and taken so far out of context that someone could apply it when they shouldn't apply it and it will cause them trouble. So there is an appropriate place for applying this message, slowing down. And I'm gonna give it to you throughout the message. But let me, let me start by giving you this idea that there is blessing in the breaking. Some of you, y'all don't know how to use your brakes. One of my daughters, as she was learning how to drive, she realized you had to hit your brakes before you make a 90 degree turn. And she tried to make a 90 degree turn going 50 miles an hour down Leitersburg Pike. And I'm like, honey, you gotta hit the brakes first. You gotta slow down before you turn. There's blessing in the braking. When we were little kids, right? If you lived anywhere near a mountain, maybe you got on a skateboard and you just sit on it and you go flying down the mountain, right? And at some point, there's this moment. You know the moment. You're like, it starts to dawn on you. This isn't gonna end well. I have no idea how I'm gonna stop. Some of you are living your life sitting on the skateboard and you're zipping down the mountain and at some moment, it's dawning on you. I, I have no idea how to slow this down. I don't know how to get off of this thing. And you feel like something needs to change because you're going just a little too fast, but you, you don't know what to do. The thought of putting your feet on the ground immediately tells you that's gonna end bad. But what tools do I have to get off or to at least slow down so I don't have this guaranteed wreck somewhere at the next turn having, having flipped a golf cart? I'm the master of creating accidents in places you shouldn't have accidents. That's right. Because I know that if you take a golf cart out of gear, and you coast that sucker, you can get it going really fast. Except you can't make the turn. So some of us, we gotta learn how to recognize the signs inside of us that are saying, you're going too fast. You gotta slow down. In order to do that, let me, let me first introduce, I wanna read you a quote. Um, a man named Dallas Willard, he was a phenomenal pastor and author he was known for a, a, a particular line. He said that we need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. One of the men that were being mentored by him borrowed that term, the ruthless elimination of hurry, wrote a book with that title. And in that book, he makes this point about how we need to learn to focus our attention and not just be so busied and hurried. And he says this, we'll put the quote up on the screen. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to, right? Which means it requires focus, slowing things down in order to give attention to things that matter most, which means you can't live constantly busied and hurried. So let's look at the life and example of Jesus because he would be, the perfect one to look to, fully God and fully man. 
Now, before you think Jesus, you know, is just this super calm, chill guy, here's the deal. Jesus, it says this, that before the foundations of the world were ever made, Jesus already knew that he was gonna have to come to rescue the world because God knew what was gonna happen. Jesus, when he, he was born, he waited, uh, by, by the time he was 12 years old, he was already telling his parents, look, I gotta be about my father's business. Jesus lived with incredible focus and incredible purpose. He waited until he was 30 years old to begin his formal ministry. And as he begins his formal ministry, he goes out into the desert and spends 40 days in fasting and prayer alone with God. But then as he begins his ministry, he's working one day on the Sabbath, which was a big no-no in the Jewish culture and Jewish tradition, tradition and Jewish law. And so he's questioned about that. And, and it's recorded in the gospel of John chapter five that Jesus responds this way when he's questioned about working on the Sabbath day. He says, in defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, I too am working. So you're like, some of you are like, yeah, let's go. Jesus said, my, God is always at work. Jesus says, I'm always at work. Good, then I could justify always working. In fact, if you fast forward to John chapter nine, verse four, again, um, he says this, or it reads this way, as Jesus is challenging people, as long as it is day, we must do the work, do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, meaning I have a limited lifespan. There's a time coming when, when, um, when we will pass from this life into eternal life. So let's give this life all we've got. Let's give it our very best. Let's maximize our impact and our fruitfulness, right? Okay, but in order to do that, in order to work while it's day and maximize your impact, you gotta work differently. In fact, let me, get, let me introduce you to a really hectic day in the life of Jesus. That morning, Jesus was surrounded by a massive crowd of people. He was doing miracles and teaching to the point where he got exhausted. And so he told his disciples, hey, let's get in the boats and let's cross over to the other side of the lake. As they're crossing to the other side of the lake, Jesus falls asleep in the boat. Some of you know what's gonna happen next. What happens? A big storm rises up and about to swamp the boat. Jesus' disciples are so scared. They're like, Jesus, they're waking him up. Don't you care that we're all gonna die? Wiping this sleep from his eyes, he gets up, looks at the storm, and he says, he says, be, be still. He calms the storm. They arrive at the other side where, when they arrive, Jesus is met by a man who is filled with all kinds of demons. A man who had been cutting himself with rocks and been chained up because he was attacking people in the community. And so Jesus rebukes the demons and casts them out of this man, freeing him from his demon possession. The demons all go into some herds of pigs, which is a little weird, but it makes sense in that ancient time. The people are so, the, the pigs run off a cliff. The farmers go to the townspeople and they come to Jesus and say, you need to leave. So Jesus tells the man who he just he freed from all these demons who wants to come with him, no, you need to stay. You need to tell everyone around here all the wonderful things God has done for you. Then Jesus gets back in the boat, crosses back across the Sea of Galilee, where he's immediately met by huge crowds of people. One of the people in the crowd, well, a person comes through the crowd running up to him. Jairus 
and he, his daughter is dying. He says, would you, would you come with me? So Jesus agrees to go to Jairus' house, and on his way to Jairus' house, surrounded by a huge crowd of people, Jesus is interrupted. In fact, if you jump into Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verse 30, it reads this way. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? And the people are looking at him like, what are you talking about? He, he said, you see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered him. How could you ask? He says, how could you, yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And finally, he sees a woman, and the woman comes forward and says, she explains everything that happened. I was sick. I've been sick for 12 years. I thought if I could just touch you, I'd be healed. That's exactly what happened. And Jesus um, affirms this woman and says, your faith has made you whole. At that moment, it says this in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? What does this mean? <laughs> Don't bother. Jesus didn't come fast enough. If Jesus had just hurried a little bit, he would have made it in time to heal your daughter, but he didn't. He let you down. Jesus leans over to him and says, Don't be afraid. Have faith. He goes with Jairus. Shows up at the house, raises the little girl from the dead. Strange. There's another story very similar. John chapter 11 is the story of Lazarus. And it says this, that um, if you read verse six, it says, so when he heard, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. At this time, Jesus, you know, Lazarus dies. They actually have a funeral for him. Jesus still doesn't show up for the funeral. By the time Jesus shows up, Lazarus has been buried a few days. And if you go to verse 21, Jesus shows up and Lazarus' sisters come to meet him. And Martha says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had just hurried up and gotten here on time, my brother would not be dead. So why did he not show up on time? Well, he said this to his disciples when he was explaining to them that Lazarus had already died. In verse 14, he said, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. That's strange. Jesus said, I slowed down so that you could believe, so that you would trust me, so that you would know that I can do things that you can't imagine. Here's the key. Let me just read a quick quote to you. It's by the man I quoted, Dallas Willard. He said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. The key is to practice the pace of God. Would you learn to practice the pace of God? Why don't we practice the pace of God? Why do we try to get so much done? Why do we have to accomplish and achieve and go, go, go? Because we define ourselves by what we do, not who we are. In fact, you could describe us more as human doings than human beings. 
Because somehow there is a deep void inside of every one of us that is filled by what we accomplish and achieve. But the moment you put something in there, you need more. And so we go, 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 trying to fill a void that can never be filled by what you achieve, accomplish, or do. Because there is some spiritual void. That's right. That spiritual void is the result of sin. Sin has blown a hole in our soul, leaving us empty and broken. And that right there is where God shows up at a very different pace. God steps from heaven to earth. God became a man to rescue us from ourselves and from the sin that has sabotaged and is destroying us and leaving us in a frenetic pace of busy and hurry. God wants us to encounter him, and so he comes and he meets with us. Jesus died on a cross, not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die, because sin was driving us through life away from God toward an eternity without him. So he intervened, he took on our sin judgment, he took on our eternal death sentence and died in our place. But Jesus didn't just die He rose from the dead and supernaturally and miraculously and physically when he rose, he triumphed over the power of sin. He triumphed over fear. He triumphed over eternal judgment. So when you and I believe in Jesus by faith, we are forgiven and given new and forever life. Would you pause right now? Do you have that confidence that you have a relationship with Jesus? Would you pause and Just examine your own life. Do I know for certain that I have a relationship with God, that I've put my faith in Jesus Christ? If not, would you take a moment right now and make it right? Make that commitment. Say yes to Jesus, not to a religion. You're not saying yes to Christianity. You're not saying yes to the church. You're saying yes to the the God who loves you so much he was willing to come and rescue you from sin. Would you say yes right now? In the stillness of this moment, and if you're saying yes, would you let us know? We're going to put a QR code up on, this, up on the screen to come up on your computer if you're joining us online. If you would scan that QR code and just let us know. Because we want to encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. As you'll notice from this message, our relationship with God is kind of counterintuitive. It kind of goes against your normal. It's, it's an upside down or right side up way of living when we're living the opposite. So now for every one of us, you, made, you just made a decision for Jesus or you've been following Jesus nearly all of your life. Now I wanna give you some principles on how to slow down and join the pace of God. First thing I wanna give you is this, practice the pace of the slowness of God. For some of you, does that sound a little uncomfortable for me to say it that way, to think that God is slow now, what I mean by God being slow is very much what I just read. Jairus wants, Jairus' fr- uh, friends want him to hurry to get to Jairus' house, and Jesus is taking his time, in fact, pauses to interact with a woman who already got healed. Jesus didn't even need to pause because she already got what she thought she needed from him. So why does Jesus pause? Because she needed more than just a physical healing. She needed a touch from the Savior. So he interrupts this programming to affirm and acknowledge a healed woman who was an outcast who needed to be invited in. 
when he finds, when he, he fully aware that Lazarus is dying and then receives news that Lazarus, his friend is dying. And he goes, yeah, we'll just hang out here a little longer. It's strange, right? It's the slowness of God. Now, before you think that matching your pace to the slowness of God means you're not gonna get anything done, let me, let me reference a book written by Mark Batterson, uh, a great author, great pastor. He actually pastors down in DC, a church called National Community Church. He's a New York Times bestselling author. And he recently wrote a book called Whisper. And in it, he, he's making this point about how fast things are happening when you don't see what's happening. So I'll put the quote up on the screen, but it says this, you're on a planet that is spinning around uh, its axis at a speed of approximately 1,000 miles per hour. And you don't even get the least bit dizzy. Plus, planet Earth is speeding through space at approximately 67,000 miles per hour. So even on a day when you feel as if you didn't get much done, you traveled 1.6 billion miles through space. That feels good, doesn't it? Now here's the point. Where am I going with this? Even when you can't see it, when you slow down and meet the pace of God, God's moving faster than you could ever imagine. God is doing more in your life than you could ever imagine. But sometimes you gotta be willing to slow down to catch on. You, you think that because you're running, like me, I get up and I get my run in, what, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna run three miles this morning and I'm gonna catch up with what God's doing and he's gonna bring me 1.6 billion miles today? Maybe some of us need to slow down to recognize that God's moving way faster than we ever realized. Let's start pacing ourselves with the pace of God and be okay when God wants you to slow down to his speed. Because when you go at the speed and the pace of God, I assure you, you're probably gonna get more done than you realized. Let me give you some examples. Noah was told by God to build a giant boat, an ark, because God was gonna flood the world. And so he starts building and he's told to preach about this impending destruction. And he builds this boat for 120 years. Now, I don't understand how time worked and how, how why people lived so much longer back then. I, I don't know, but what I do know is that the guy had to wait 120 years I don't know about you, but if God told me to build a boat, I don't know if I could wait 120 years. Part of it is I don't think I'd be here, right? 120 years. God, God tells Abraham that he's at 75 years old, that he's gonna have a son. His wife is 65. That's how she responded. And then God had them wait 25 more years before Isaac showed up because he wanted to make it really impossible. You know, you hear somebody at 65, you're like, ah, oh, that's pretty crazy. But at 90, that's not just crazy, that's impossible. And that was the point. 25 years they waited for the promise of God. Joseph had a dream that he would become a ruler and a leader and even his family would be submitted under his leadership. He has a dream, he's thrown into a pit. He gets transferred, sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. He ends up in a prison cell 
and then he gets promoted to the palace of Pharaoh. 13 years from when he had the dream to when that dream is fulfilled. Moses is, it's revealed to Moses that he's gonna become the deliverer of the nation of Israel to lead them out of Egyptian slavery. So he's self-reliant and confident. He tries to take that deliverance into his own hands only to eventually have to run for his life and spend 40 years in the wilderness alone, shepherding sheep, not people. Until he gets to the place where he fully relies on God. And when he's finally emptied of himself, he encounters God and God says, now it's time. 40 years later. And even then, after he leads them out of Egyptian slavery and into the peninsula of Sinai, where they're gonna go through the desert to get to the promised land, rather than entering the promised land, they're told that they're gonna have to wait another 40 years because they're not ready. Moses spends 80 years only to never actually get into the promised land. 80 years of the slowness of God. David was anointed the next king of the nation of Israel. And from becoming a king to slaying Goliath to becoming a great warrior, there's 15 years before he actually becomes anointed the, the king of the nation. See, there's a, there's a pace of God. But here's what I know. You will accomplish more partnering with God and going at his speed than going it alone. You will accomplish more going at the slowness of God than at the pace you want to run. Let's give a few more things that may help. I'm gonna give you a few other key principles, just matching the slowness of God. If you look at the life and example of Jesus, the gospel of Luke says in verse chapter five, verse 16, say that, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. How often do you withdraw to lonely, quiet places to pray and talk to God? What's the point? Practice the pace of silence and solitude. A word would simply be stillness. In Psalm 46, David is writing about how the world is just crazy around us. And then as he gets through his song, he gets about halfway through and he says, come, come see, come meet God. And he ends that chapter by saying, be still and know that he is God. So this is, this is the pace. In the world of chaos and craziness, Sometimes you need to be invited to meet God. And when you meet God, just be still and know that he's God. Silence is not just no noise. Silence would be turning off your phone. Silence is turning off the music. Silence is turning off your thoughts. That's hard, isn't it? That's really hard. Part of uh, this doctoral program I'm in, we had to go on a spiritual retreat and they had to spend an entire day in complete silence. And one of the practices was like stilling and quieting your thoughts. And my thoughts run Red Bull. It took me, it took me a long time just to finally recognize that I could actually start turning that off. Just say, no, 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 be quiet. Just meet God. Silence. Solitude. Getting alone just with God, solitude, lonely places, stillness, quieting your thoughts, 
quieting your emotions, quieting the noise and the chaos around you to get alone with God. And in case you think you have so much going on that you can't possibly meet the pace of God in silence and solitude, let me introduce you to Susanna Wesley, mom to John and Charles Wesley. She had 19 children. And when she wanted to meet, thank you, this poor girl up here, she's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> she would pray every day. She would take her apron. Now we're talking, you know, I don't know, long time ago, right? She'd take her apron and it said that she would just put her apron over her head and all of her kids knew. When mom's got her apron over her head, leave her alone, she's meeting with God. Look, if Susanna Wesley and 19 kids could put an apron over her head and have some prayer time, I promise you, you can slow down, get quiet, and meet God. Stillness, silence, solitude. Let me give you one more quick point. Mark chapter two, verse 27. Jesus is being questioned about the Sabbath day. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We're gonna talk about the Sabbath for a moment. But in order to do that, I gotta talk to you about work. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says this, Jesus is inviting them. He said, come to me, all you who weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, lean, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, the only two words Jesus ever used to describe himself were gentle and humble. And you will, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The only way to really talk about ceasing from work, which is Sabbath, is to talk about work. You know, you know what's interesting about this passage I just read you about Jesus saying, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burden. I will give you rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Uh, some of you, you don't realize what a yoke is. A yoke is an ancient agrarian tool that you would put on an oxen to haul a load. Now, if you put, you don't need a yoke for one oxen. You just strap them up, tie a load to them. A, a, an oxen on average would weigh about 2,000 pounds and would be expected to pull its own weight. So a one-ton ox pulls one ton. But if you yoke them together, it means there's this wooden device you put over the two of them and they can haul more together than they can alone. Not just hauling their weight, meaning if you put two, you know, one ton, two, two one-ton oxen, they can pull two tons. No, actually, even an untrained ox or untrained cattle paired with a trained ox can actually pull twice their combined weight. If you have two highly trained ox, oxen, they can pull four times their combined weight. Or why does that matter? Eight times their individual weight. Again, some of you still aren't catching on. What Jesus is saying is yoke up with me. Even if you're not trained at all, if you will yoke up with me, if you partner with me, I can help you accomplish four times what you could do on your own. If you just link up with me, you would think you could be able to do double, but that's not the case. You'll be able to do four times. And if you learn, if you're trained to link up with me, if you learn how to cooperate with the pace of God, this is the training the, the working together with God, you'll be able to accomplish eight times what you could do on your own because you're cooperating with the work of God, the spirit of God. Now, some of you are still not convinced. Hey, maybe take God's yoke on you. 
Maybe realize that you can accomplish eight times what you could do on your own. Some of you, you just need to yoke up with God, but go at his pace. Now let's talk about Sabbath rest. Practice the pace of Sabbath pause. This is simply the idea of setting aside a 24-hour block of time to slow down, to rest, to set it up as a monument to God. It's not just a good day, it's a holy day. Now, whether you practice a Sabbath 24-hour time slot or you create Sabbath spaces throughout your week, I don't know that it matters, but I will tell you some of you would benefit profoundly in your life and in your home if you actually set aside a 24-hour block of time to Sabbath encounter God, to recreate, to put the time aside. Let me be clear. Sabbath is not an earned time off. Meaning you don't work so you can earn a Sabbath day, nor do you take a Sabbath pause as preparation for the rest of the week. To Sabbath pause is something different. It's this. It's a big deep breath because you, are, you need it. Because you and I need to encounter God. We need to slow down. We need to experience God. We need one day where we're not endlessly stressed out so that we can put our stress before God. We can take a few big deep breaths. We can recreate and relax. And in those moments, we become something better. And when you become that better version, it gives you something to aim for the rest of the week. Because when you link up with God, you slow down. Stillness, silence, solitude. When you get together in community and you worship God together, you discover that there's more to life than just accomplishing and achieving. You're not a human doing. You are a human being designed in the image of God for the purposes of God, for the glory of God. And when that grips you, then like Jesus, surrounded by crowds, you can pause and acknowledge someone who needs a little bit of attention. Like Jesus, you don't always have to be everywhere everyone thinks you should be. Like Jesus, you can withdraw to lonely, quiet places to pray. So we wanna give you a little bit more space. You can tell we did things a little different today for this specific purpose. Because what I'm hoping is that every one of you begin to develop in your life a habit of the pace of God. Some of you are trying to get things done. Some of you right now are trying to think of where you have to go next. Pause. Slow down. God can do more in your life. He can bring you 1.6 billion miles today. Maybe just link up with him. So what we want to do is give you some space just to meet God right now. To slow down. To pray. Would you do that right now? There's, there's going to be a prayer team available on either side of the platform. If you want someone to pray with you, feel free to talk with them. Go and pray. Maybe what you need right now is just a quiet moment, though. One more time. Would you take a big, deep breath? Okay, that was good. But now you need to take a moment where you encounter God. And so as we go into this song, here's what I want you to recognize. Most of the songs we sing or songs where we're worshiping God. This song was written like God speaking over you. 
And the reason why we're doing this song is to give you space, not so much just to sing along, but to let these words wash over you as you pause, slow down and meet God. Would you let God speak to you right now? Would you let God speak to your heart? Can I encourage you? Let's just take some space as we go into this song for you to pray, for you to pause, for you to meet the pace of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.